Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode. Today's guest will be Kara Fleischer, who is a district supervisor for soil and water conservation. Um, so can you introduce yourself and tell me kind of more about your policies and goals as a Leon Soil and Water District Conservation Supervisor? Absolutely. I'm Kara Fleischer and I am so happy to be with you today. Thank you for having me. I really love this position, but it's very um, unknown. Most people don't know what we do or much about it. Um, so I can just share a little bit about what it means to be a Leon Soil and Water Conservation District Supervisor. Um, it is a volunteer position, 100% volunteer. And we have a five member board that we meet monthly. And our terms are for four years and we are an elected office. So we have to, um, you know, go through the whole campaigning and um, election process. I did that in 2018 and I did have two um, competitors at that time. I've been doing it for four years and I am up for re-election, but I don't have any competitors. So this time I don't have to run. I'm just already in there for the next four years. So I'm very happy about that. Um, this position has been wonderful because I have been a volunteer advocate for the environment um, for about seven years. And getting this position just really helped me get a seat at the table with local government. And it kind of opened some doors to grant funding and things like that, that would have been harder just as a regular citizen to be able to access. Um, so, but we have a an office building, we work from home, um, we don't have a staff. A lot of times people are not sure like how this position works, but it's completely volunteer. And it just has allowed me to really think about what I want to help change for the better in the environment in our area, and then create projects to be able to uh, reach those goals and to be able to work with some different, um, you know, county and state and federal entities to be able to make those goals happen. So there's two areas in particular that I've been working on. Um, one is air quality and the other is Leon Sink's geological site, um, reopening that. So um, yeah, so that's my, that's just the summary of what it's like. And I read online that you kind of had like a bad experience with air pollution yourself. So did that kind of serve as some kind of like wake up call for you? Yes, absolutely. Um, when I lived in Atlanta, I, I'm from Tallahassee and I went to Florida State, go Knowles, and um, moved to Atlanta with um, my husband and we um, had our first child there. Her name is Lauren. And the day she was born in August, it was a code purple smog alert day, which is a terrible air quality day, like Mexico City bad. And, you know, I'm coming home from the hospital with this tiny little baby and over the highways, the signs were lit up with smog alerts. And so that just really hit me hard and opened my eyes to what's going on with air pollution and how it can affect our health. And so that whole month that she was a baby, she we had to pretty much stay inside. I couldn't take her outside um, because of the smog. And unfortunately, as she grew, she did get asthma and she was very sick. She had a lot of chest um, respiratory infections, 
We had to use a nebulizer on her like five times a day. You can imagine a little tiny baby having to have this mask on their face with a really loud machine, breathing in medicine. Um, it was really stressful and really disappointing. And so during this time, I started learning more about air quality and what causes pollution, which in Atlanta is the millions of cars and the cold um, powered power plants. And it was just a really hard time because our child continued to be sick. And her doctor eventually said, you know, if it was me, I'd move back to Florida. So we did. We left our business and our home that we had just renovated in the historic district. And we came back um, to Florida. But that's how I started really learning about air quality and gave me some perspective coming back to Tallahassee because, you know, here everyone thinks it's a beautiful, you know, tree filled city and it's small and we don't have those problems of millions of cars and coal power, uh, coal powered uh, power plants. So certainly our air quality must be great. But the flip side of having so many forests, it has to be managed and they're managed by prescribed burning. And I understand the benefits to the environment with prescribed burning, but I also understand the risks to human health with having so much smoke in the air. So, you know, we moved back and there were days that our house was smoked, uh, smoked in and we got a Purple Air Monitor, which is a personal home monitor that you can test um, PM 2.5 particulate matter, which is the particulate that is created from burning. And it's very dangerous because it's small enough. It can go into the lungs and into the bloodstream and cause a lot of um, health problems. So I got this air monitor and I was able to monitor what was happening in my, my you know, yard in my neighborhood. Um, from the smoke. And sure enough, we were up in the 200s, 250s. Some days it was worse than Atlanta. So it was very um, telling that Tallahassee did, in fact, have an air quality problem. And so I've kind of been on a mission to just raise awareness about to help protect public health. And so part of a project that I created as the soil and water um, supervisor is called mulch it, don't burn it. And it's encouraging people to change their behaviors because we not only have the prescribed burning going on two times, you know, really it's very heavy in the fall and the spring, but then we also have backyard yard burning going on. A lot of people that rake up their leaves and burn them or have a burn pile for sticks or, you know, yard debris. Um, and so the project has really tried to raise awareness about that part being unnecessary because we already have the prescribed fires that are necessary. So let's reduce the amount of smoke we're putting into the air. And I also read about the last environmental straw that led you into a life of climate advocacy. So can you talk a little bit more about what that was and what ultimately inspired you to start this job? Sure. Well, um, when we did move back to Florida, we came back to Tallahassee by way of Tampa and St. Pete. Um, and we were hit with four hurricanes one summer. And that helped me connect the dots between the air pollution I'd already been studying and how, you know, the emissions that we're putting into the air are warming the planet and causing climate change, which is therefore creating um, extreme weather. So if that's the straw that you're referring to, that was certainly a big one. And that kind of 
spurred me into getting involved in getting active. Um, it was the, the Paris Agreement that really made gave me hope that world leaders were taking action on this problem. And then I felt like, oh, okay, well, if world leaders are addressing this, then certainly I should try to get involved and do my part. And so I joined a group called Citizens Climate Lobby and Moms Clean Air Force. And I started um, being trained on how to use my voice. And I'm a PR communications person by um, by training. And that was the business I was in before I um, decided to have uh, children. And so it came very naturally for me just to start writing op-eds for the paper and um, speaking at rallies and going to D.C. and lobbying um, senators and representatives. And so I got really involved with that um, for a couple of years before I ran for this position. You are also the founder and organizer of the Tallahassee Green Fake Alliance. So what does this organization do and why did you start it? Absolutely. Well, a big part of um, my advocacy is through my faith. So I'm a creation care leader, which means um, I'm United Methodist at St. Paul's, which is the church at Lake Ella. And I was doing all this advocacy um, and I stopped and thought about what my own church was doing and what our emissions might be. And so I asked our pastor and she said, oh, you mean creation care? And I said, I don't know what that is, but I like the sound of it. So I learned more about it. And it's um, a ministry where we follow the biblical call to be good stewards of the earth. And that could be a lot of different things. But for us at St. Paul's, we started a garden, an organic garden, and we grow fresh vegetables that we share with the food bank. And we started working on changing our landscape to more native plants. And we changed out our lights to be more efficient and um, started composting as a church. And then also just doing a lot of fun activities like hikes and kayak trips and uh, we do Lake Ella cleanups. And so that kind of started me in this creation care space. And um, eventually I was asked to run the Florida task team for the United Methodist Church. And so I was doing that. And that was um, very rewarding where we're actually working to start new creation care ministries in churches all around Florida. And as I was working in that space, I thought, you know, it would be really nice if Tallahassee could have a way to have all our faith communities connected through this movement, because I know that there's so many people doing things like we have um, churches that have solar and we have houses of worship that have gardens. And so um, it just it, I needed to formally connect us all. And so I um, reached out to some friends that I knew and from some different organizations I was involved with. Um, let them know that I was interested in starting this. And so we had a lot of people that came together and we just created this group called Tallahassee Green Faith Alliance. And um, we meet monthly and we have a, a Zoom meeting with usually a topic and just a chance to um, share information about what's going on at our different houses of worship and to encourage each other. Um, I've actually passed on the organizer role to Susan Robinson recently. So um, I was able to um, pass the torch to someone who's very, um, you know, inspired with this work. And so it's continuing to go strong. So I'm really proud of it. And it's helped connect um, our community in a really um, nice way. 
That sounds great. And what other projects have you been part of to make a greener Tallahassee? And how can we get involved in those projects? Well, there's two projects that I'm very excited about. I've touched on um, just real briefly, but the air quality um, project I created um, called Mulch It, Don't Burn It. And I created a PR plan. And I'm thrilled that the county, um, from me working with the county, I've spoke at county commission meetings about the need for air quality monitoring and raising awareness about burning. And I'm thrilled that the county is taking on this project as their own. And um, they're calling it Learn Before You Burn. And they have a whole um, public awareness campaign that is gonna be rolling out at the end of August. So it's going to be billboards and flyers and social media and um, possibly some radio spots. So really, it's very exciting to see that my my baby is, um, you know, has accomplished the goal of um, inspiring the county. So they will take it and run with it with their budgets because we have no budget at Leon Soil and Water. Um, but this is a good example of what we can do with the position is to create ideas and provide information and then be able to inspire different agencies to um, to use it. So, um, you know, just keep your eye out for that. There's a, um, you can find out what the um, air quality is by either getting your own purple air monitor, which are about $300, or you can go to the Leon Soil and Water Conservation District Twitter feed, and we post the quality there every day. So that way you can really keep up with it. And one thing that we're continuing to do is to um, hopefully get them into schools. So um, the EPA has a flag um, education program where they provide the colored flags depending on what the color of the day is. If it's green, it's good, all the way to black, which is really, really bad. Hopefully we'll never see a black day in Tallahassee. Um, and then there's education curriculum that goes with it. And so I'm going to be um, tabling next week at a meeting of science, te science teachers called BLAST, um, just talking about the program and seeing if they'd be interested in picking that up as one of the curriculums that they're going to be working on this, this year with their class. Um, it's, it's something that a science club could do where they check the air quality every day and then fly the flag that corresponds with that air quality. And that's to help raise awareness at the school and with the parents and with the, you know, with the kids. Um, because truthfully, a lot of days that we have terrible air quality, nothing changes in the life of the school. So I've been to a school where it was a track meet and it was a code purple day. It was literally smoke was hanging in the air and the kids were running track. And that's just a terrible thing to do to their, to their health. So um, that's one thing that I'm actively working on. And I'm also very proud of how far we've come um, with the county taking it on. And the other thing is um, Leon Sinks Geological Site. This is a wonderful place that people can hike and see some really interesting um, geology. And we've got huge sinkhole called Big Dismal. And then there's another sinkhole called Hammock Sink, which is aqua blue and bebeautiful. Um, there's examples of our karst geology throughout the site with, um, you know, 
streams that go underground. Um, and there's signage throughout that helps teach people what they're looking at. So it's a really wonderful site. Um, before COVID, I guess three years ago now, I was there and I'd heard that some of the boardwalks were um, in disarray, that they were um, needing a repair. And so I went out and checked it out with my family. And sure enough, the boardwalks overlooking some of these huge sinkholes um, were rotten. And there was just a tiny sign on them saying like danger. But people were stepping right over the sign and going to the edge of the boardwalk and looking at the the sink. And it was hundreds of feet up in the air. And so I was concerned for my own children's health. And so I came back and took that on as a project and contacted the Forest Service, which is the Federal Forest Service, and um, talked to our ranger, Ranger Burke Roseman, locally, and let him know that this site was really important to our community and that we wanted to get these repaired. It turned out that we had just got a bad batch of wood when these repaired only a, over a decade ago. And that company had gone out of business because uh, there were so many lawsuits. And so we had no recourse financially. So we had to start trying to figure out how to find the money to repair these, these overlooks. And that included getting estimates and, um, and then finding the money. And so it's been a very long process. Um, during that time, COVID happened. So everything was shut down. And then also a change of um, presidents, which changed the financial landscape for state parks and um, well, federal parks, uh, federal um, lands, which this is. And so um, three years later, most of the work is done. We were able to soft open. Um, a few months ago, we had, um, I formed a volunteer group because Leon Sinks didn't have anything like that. So we had about 40 people go out to the site and help um, paint um, different areas with signage and blaze the trails and just help with general um, cleanup. And then the site was reopened. And now we're working on creating a Friends of Leon Sinks group, an official group that's working on education and um, hopefully to have sixth graders come out to the site to have field trips and have people there on the weekends to help guide people along the trails and explain to them what they're seeing. And it's just really an exciting time because we're looking at a September grand reopening um, to really open it up to the whole community and to bring a spotlight on how wonderful the site is. So it's um it's an exciting time that we're getting very close. How do you work with the community to make sure their voices are heard when making these decisions? Well, that's a great question. People do come to our meetings sometimes if they have um, something that they want to bring up to us and then we help amplify whatever that is. So we've written letters to commissioners. We've written letters to state entities. Um, if there is a question about someone's lake that might be impacted by local construction, things of that nature. And of course, everything that we're doing is for the community. So when we worked on the Leon Sinks site, I was posting on Facebook, um, Tallahassee Hikes, and keeping people up to date on what was happening with the site, why it wasn't open. It's a loved place to hike. So people were getting very 
antsy about wanting to get back in there. And so that's how I started the volunteer group and the friends of group, um, reaching out to different people in the community, working with Florida Trail Association and Wakala Springs Alliance, really just trying to have a coalition to do this together. And I think that really helped us have success with the Forest Service because we did have representation from a lot of different groups and they felt loud and clear that this was a site that people cared about. And so the attention shifted to the site because of the work that we did. Mm -hmm. And in many articles that I've read, you stated that you are um, a mom with a mission. So how do you find that work-life balance of being activist, but also a mother? It isn't always easy, but my children are older now. I have a high schooler and one in college. So it's definitely different than when they were little, um, but it continues to be a challenge to find enough time in the day to do everything that I want to do. I also work part-time as the director of communications for Rethink Energy Florida. And so that's actually a job that I have. But then on top of that, I do my Leon Sinks work and I do my creation care work. So there is always something on the to-do list that needs to be done. But I try to find a balance there and remember that there's only so many hours in the day and that I also need to practice getting out and enjoying this nature that I'm working so hard to protect. So on the weekends, I go paddling, I go hiking, I go to the beach, spend time with my son at the pool and just really try to, you know, stay balanced. It's not always easy. And what do you think about things like sustainable energy sources like solar panels or solar powered cars? And do you think we should switch to using these? And if so, how do you think we should make them more accessible to people? I'm a huge, huge proponent of renewable energy. I work for um, Rethink Energy Florida, and that's our main goal is to raise awareness about renewable energy and to lead the way and encourage and advocate for renewable energy. So I have an electric car and I'm plugged into the Tallahassee Utilities solar farm, which means I pay a little extra on my bill to have um, energy from the solar farm supporting that. So it is absolutely doable. And I can tell you today, I'm very encouraged by the Inflation Reduction Act because it is it passed yesterday on the federal level and it is providing, I believe, $300 billion towards fighting the climate crisis through incentives for green technology. And so this is the first real substantial, well, the biggest the most substantial action our federal government has ever taken. And I'm involved on the international level as well. I went to the UN climate conference in Madrid, COP26. And so the world is waiting for the United States to lead before they will commit on the levels that are necessary. And yesterday we showed the world that we are actually going to lead instead of just talk about it. So I'm very encouraged. And a lot of this has been tried to be put on the individual, like the individual needs to do better. Well, actually, the government and the um, structures and the systems need to change. Just like we used to use whale oil way back in the day, we need to change on a structural level. We can't expect our individuals who are working so hard to make ends meet and to 
do the best they can in the structure that they've been provided to be able to afford to change, you know, and get solar and get an electric car. That's not feasible for everyone. But as we give incentives to green energy and we take away subsidies for fossil fuels, the market's going to react and will put us in that correct projection um, trajectory. So I'm feeling encouraged today. It's been a long time coming for this legislation to pass. It's not perfect, um, but it is a great start. And what do you think that we as a community can work on in order to improve sustainability in Tallahassee? And do you have any advice for people who also want to start advocating for the climate but don't know what the first step is? Great questions. Well, we are really lucky in Tallahassee that we do have a very strong sustainability movement and um, community. So we love our trees. We have solar farms for our privately owned utility, which is huge. And we have been working with the city government to, and they passed the 100% renewable by 2050 pledge. So we are far ahead of many other communities, but that doesn't mean that we don't still have a long way to go. I think the last two years have really shown us that the developers have a lot of power and sway with the city government. And there have been huge, huge construction projects that have been passed through, rubber stamped. Um, you know, sites have been um, allowed to clear cut trees and unfortunately, we're losing our tree canopy and there are better ways and more environmentally um, friendly ways for developers to build. So that's an area that I think we really need some improvement. Um, you know, I'm looking at Walani Plantation um, with the canopy project, ironically called canopy when they went in and clear cut everything. And it was a gorgeous piece of property. So it's been hard for people who have paid attention. Um, they actually were fined and for cutting down canopy road trees and have had all kinds of environmental issues over at that. And so there is, there is still work to be done. And I think the way that people can get involved is to join some of the groups that are active, like Sustainable Tallahassee. Rethink Energy Florida. We do so much for advocating. Um, we have a Reclaiming Florida's Future for All event when session comes back, where individuals just like me and you can learn about what bills are being introduced for the session and then go to the Capitol and meet with representatives and senators and uh, lobby them and ask them to either support bills that are good for the environment or reject bills that aren't. And so, you know, there's so much good work going on to empower our community. So just get involved, plug in and, you know, you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be any kind of expert. Uh, the other thing is, is you can read a book called Saving Us by Catherine Hayhoe. It's a newer book and it's excellent and gives all kinds of background and um, easy to understand information about where we are and what we can do. And last question, what do you hope to see in terms of sustainability in the future? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I got into this because of my kids. And I really do hope that by the time that they're ready to have children, we are on a path to where we have reduced our emissions and we are moving towards the goals of 
reducing them to the point that we can halt the climate crisis, that we can have a future where we will have renewable energy and a focus on sustainability. Because truly, what we do right now is not only affecting us, it's going to affect the rest of human civilization. I know that sounds quite grand, but that's what the science says. And that's, I believe in science. So I am hopeful. I'm hopeful, but it's so important for everyday people to use their voice, to call their representatives, to call their senators, to write their president, to thank them when they do things right and to let them know when they're not happy with the direction that they're taking. It is long overdue for us to be off of fossil fuels. And the only reason why we're still using them is because of politics and money. So, and the people in power know this, but unfortunately it takes public will to make them change directions. So every single person's voice is important and every single person should be looking at the options, even in local elections. Look at who your people are that are running for office and who's supporting them. If developers are supporting them, then that's not a good person to choose for the environment and sustainability. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed and stay tuned for the next episode.